How are you guys doing? Good, good, good to see you today. What well, kind of see you? The light's a little bright. Uh, so my name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors. Question for you. Have you ever heard a story that seemed too good to be true? I got a couple for you that were making me laugh this week. There was a senior in high school who was applying to a few colleges, and he had to write his, uh, his interest essays, uh, essays, if I can say that word. Um, and there was one of them that asked for a three-page essay on what daring meant to them. True story what daring meant to them. So this is what he did. On the first page, he wrote this. On the second page, he wrote is. And on the third page, he wrote daring, period. And three months later, he got accepted into that university. Uh, pretty amazing. Sorry, parents, if you have kids that are reaching that point and you're like, why would he ever say that up there? Uh, <laughs> but that's pretty hilarious. Uh, there was a woman who was staying at a hotel where I guess there was only one channel that worked on the TV. Well, at least in, in her room, there was only one channel that worked. And so she was watching Sesame Street as she got ready that morning. And on Sesame Street, Elmo was doing his thing, as he does. And the, it was this little skit between Elmo and a clown named Mr. Noodles. So Mr. Noodles was supposed to wash his hands. That was the whole thing. We've all watched Sesame Street, though. We know that it's never that simple, right? So Mr. Noodles, every time he goes to wash his hands, he washes his elbows. And then he washes his knees and his feet and on and on and on. And it goes for way too long for the average adult. And so every time that he would wash the wrong part, Elmo would yell, No, Mr. Noodles, your hands! So the woman's getting ready. She's listening to this in the background. And about the fifth or sixth time, all of a sudden, she hears loudly from the room next door, Dang it, Mr. Noodles, just wash your hands! <laughs> ah, that kills me. That is amazing. <laughs> that is so good. Uh, hotels, you get to hear everything, right? Uh, last one. There was a guy who was cleaning out his, his computer, transferring files and whatnot, and he found a 25-page document. And so he was curious. I wonder what this is. So he was bored, and he sat down and read the whole thing. When he reached the end of the document, this is what it said. Future me, I predict you will not look at this document for a long time. So whenever you look at it, you'll read this and remember that you hid $10 under your mattress. You're welcome. So, of course, the dude immediately jumps up, runs into his bedroom, and throws up his mattress. There's no $10 bill, but there was a note written in his own handwriting that said, just kidding. <laughs> That's pretty good. You guys are going to go do this now. You're like, I'm going to do something like that just to make myself laugh in 10 years. Sometimes something just seems too good to be true, right? Well, 2,000 years ago, a surprising couple found themselves pregnant. But it's not the couple that you're thinking of. Not that one. Another one. This one was late, solidly late middle-aged. Maybe even pushing elderly. We're not quite sure, but pushing that, that edge. They were way too old to have kids. We'll say that. And they had never been able to have kids up until this point talking about Elizabeth and Zachariah. 
in their story. Here's what it is. One day, Zachariah returned home speechless. And not the good kind of speechless that his wife was excited about, but he legit couldn't talk anymore. He walks in the door, cannot talk, is doing all the hand gestures, finally takes out an ancient writing tablet, whatever that would look like, and starts writing out what happened to him that day. See, this was Zechariah's big day. Once in the lifetime of each priest in Israel, they got to go into the Holy of Holies and bring the offerings, the sacrifices. And this was Zechariah's day that he got to go do that. So he left home super excited, super happy about this, nervous, a little anxious about it, comes home, can't speak, starts writing out what happened. He's in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. He's lighting some incense, Luke tells us, which is just a fun extra, like, this is how you know that it's true. Uh, fact for you. He was lighting incense, he turns around, and there's an angel. So he was surprised, right? And the angel looks at him and he says, hey, Zachariah, my name's Gabriel, this is good news. And then he starts to tell him how it's good news. He tells him that him and his wife are going to get pregnant, and they're going to have a baby boy, and they're going to need to name the boy John, because he's going to be the one that was prophesied about, the one that was going to tell about the coming of the Messiah, that was going to lay everything out in Israel for the Messiah to come. That was going to be their son. And so Zechariah was super excited, right? No. He thought it sounded too good to be true. Dude's mouth dropped open, and instead of saying thank you, he says, I'm old, and my wife's old, and we can't have babies. And Gabriel didn't really appreciate that response. And so in one of the more uh, funny, maybe a little over-the-top uh, reactions to our stupid things that we say. Uh, he told him that he couldn't talk for the next nine to ten months until the baby was born. He said, okay, fine, you don't believe me? No talking until the baby comes out of Elizabeth nine or ten months from now. So he finishes up in the temple, goes home, can't talk, and tells his wife this whole story. How can an old infertile couple have a baby his response isn't that outlandish the story did seem too good to be true but how did his his wife respond to this in a good showing for wives everywhere this is what she said in luke 125 how kind the lord is he has taken away my disgrace of having no children in the midst of her disgrace, she says, God is showing me kindness in her hopeless situation, so hopeless that her husband can't even believe it when he's in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, and an angel shows up. Even in that spot, he can't believe that God could actually do that. That's how hopeless it was. In that situation, God has brought hope to them. You know, we've heard the stories of the people around the, the birth of Jesus so many times that I think sometimes it, it's just kind of like old news. We're like, yeah, yeah, Mary, Joseph, uh, the shepherds, uh, Zachariah, Elizabeth, it's all whatever. You know, like it's, it's a good story. But I think sometimes we forget that to live out their stories would have been ridiculously painful. They were 
almost elderly and had tried to have kids constantly up until that point. They didn't have tests that could tell them that that was not a possibility. They just kept trying. Mary was a teenager, and she got pregnant without it coming from at least her engaged-to-be husbands. These are painful stories to have to live out. There's something uncomfortable about a lot of these. Elizabeth had waited years. She had gone through innumerable attempts to have a baby, only to find out that it was impossible. Years of pain and struggle and waiting in her life. Leading up to Christmas is the church season of Advent. And Advent is a season of waiting. For us now, it's the, it's the time from Thanksgiving leading up to Christmas. Uh, we don't talk about it as much here as um, other churches might. Uh, some more mainline churches would probably talk about Advent a little bit more. But the word for Advent comes from a Greek word that means this. The presence, it presence after an absence. Presence after an absence. For us in the kind of calendar year, we hear Advent and we're like, okay, cool. It's a time where we like, are excited and anticipate the birth of Jesus. That's what it's all about. But historically, what Advent was always about was actually about the second coming. It's not about anticipating when Jesus was going to be born, because that already happened. It's about anticipating when he's going to return the second time, when he's going to come and be king forever, rule and reign here on earth for the rest of time. That's what this season is pointing towards. Advent is about us encountering the presence of Jesus once again here on earth after 2,000 years plus of waiting. That's the season that we're in. And so I want to do something that I don't do very often, but I came across a poem that I really liked for this that I want to read to you. It's a little bit long, so stick with me uh, and read it with me if you would like or just listen along. Here's what it says. I see you sitting there swaddled in your grief, doubting, but perhaps wanting to believe, wishing for hope when there's only disappointment, wishing for joy where rage has taken up space instead. There's no shame if the season of enchantment finds you disenchanted. It is the season that we are expected to believe in miracles and magic and peace and goodwill as if we could simply cast off our anxiety and skepticism that shroud our lives the rest of the year. So for the anxious and for the exhausted, for the confused and for the despairing, rest. Don't be afraid if your assured belief feels more like fragile hope, if your easy prayer falls more like heavy silence, if the wind is blown through your sturdy theology, leaving in its wake only a cavernous mystery. For this is the season of hope and of silence and of mystery. This is the season of God as a baby, and we are all allowed to be as vulnerable as the vulnerable God, gentle with ourselves and all our, wander, our wondering and wandering, our skepticism and our disappointment, our waiting and our striving. The Christmas story, make no mistake, is a story of empire and politics, of violence and revolution, of fear and trembling, but it is also where we discover that creation's violent battle march 
is stilled by a newborn's cry. That the antidote for an unstable world is a stable-born baby. And that the good news comes first. To keepers of smelly flocks and stargazers outside the chosen tribe. The ones whose hands are in the muck, whose hearts are wandering, whose minds are confounded. May we not reverse the song of subversion, but allow ourselves to be sung into rest in the arms of God, who birthed the plan for renewal through the womb of a bewildered virgin, and whose message is that he is closer than we think, more gentle than we imagine. If we bend our ears in our brokenness, it won't be long before we hear the strains of good news again. In the message translation, Romans 8, 24 and 25 says, Waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. We're in the middle of a series this Advent, this Christmas season that we've called gift exchange because we believe that God has really good gifts that he wants to give us this Christmas season that he wants to give to us. And, and I want to talk about the exchange part of it this morning. The fact that he wants to not just give us things, but he also wants to take things from us so that he can give us even more. Because Sometimes gifts can seem too good to be true. Sometimes gifts can take longer to arrive than you would ever imagine than they would take. And I know that for some and maybe for many of us that 2019 has been a hard year. And Christmas time can be one of the hardest parts of the year when you've had a hard year. Some of us have had years that have been filled with pain. Some of us have had years where we've lost people that we've loved deeply where we've gone through physical illness that, that's confounded doctors, that le that's left us frustrated, that's left us in pain and unsure of what's going on. Some of us have had years where we've seen our kids struggling, where our marriages have struggled, where our jobs have been an issue, where our finances have been a mess. Some of us have had hard years. And so here's the good news. Jesus is here. In the midst of our struggles, he's working. In the, in the wake, in the silence after our prayers, he's answering. In the places of our grief, he is comforting. And I think Jesus wants us to know this Christmas season and today that he is coming that there is great hope to be found in that, and that there is hope in our waiting. Because I think that today, Jesus wants to bring us joy in exchange for our pain. He wants us to realize that the longer that we've waited, the larger we've become, and the more joyful our expectancy can be. Let's pray, and then we'll continue with this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth.
Jesus, I just thank you for what you are doing in our hearts this morning. I thank you that, that you are here, that you are moving, that you're bringing comfort to places that we wouldn't have expected maybe this morning to walk in and to find comfort in. That you're bringing joy to places that we wouldn't expect to see joy. And then I pray for those of us this morning who have looked back on 2019, whether it's the whole of it or just certain parts, and we've said, yes, this has been a hard year. It's been a painful year. I pray that in the midst of that reality, that we will encounter the reality that you are still here and that you want to exchange our pain for your joy. Let us know what that means this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can walk all the way up front and grab one. No, nobody's going to do that. Uh, you can read it off the screen. Let's look at it. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to a virgin named Mary. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, he said. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, tell her what she's won, Gabriel. Uh, the angel said, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. The word of God will never fail. So think about this revelation that Gabriel gives to Mary. This is his second revelation in a few months. He's getting really good at this, so he knows what to expect. You notice he didn't make Mary unable to talk for nine months because she questioned him this time. He got a little bit more patience in the game this time. Uh, God knows that Mary's going to struggle with this because, as she said, she's a virgin, and there's certain things that you shouldn't be able to do when you're a virgin, which is good, right? None of us want surprise babies when we haven't done anything to make that happen. Uh, so he's put a plan in place to help her to understand it. And I love this because she's standing there. She's like, this is crazy town. First off, I'm seeing things because nobody else is seeing this, this angel thing in front of me. Second off, he's telling me that this is getting pregnant without doing anything crazy town is happening right here right now and then gabriel says wait i know i know what will convince you and then he lays it out and he says you know your cousin elizabeth the one that's too old to have kids the one that's tried to have kids and has never been able to have kids yes that one she's pregnant mic drop gabriel out and he moves on i mean it's like it's astounding the timing of this. God is so smart with some of this stuff, right? Because you know what happens to Mary? Immediately, her attitude changes. She goes from being like, this is ridiculous, to being like, wait, what? We'll read it in a, in a second here. But within two days, she leaves home and travels to go see Elizabeth because of this. She wanted proof that this was real. 
It was 70 miles between her house and Elizabeth's house. 70 miles, which back in the day was a lot of walking or donkey riding. Either one is not super fun, right? They didn't have nice supportive athletic wear for your feet. They had sandals. It was not fun. 70 miles was a long way to go, but she knew that if this is true, then something just changed for me in a pretty big way. And she wanted to find out about it. How does Jesus meet us in the midst of our waiting? Well, Elizabeth's story could teach us, I think, so much about the intersection between our waiting, our struggling, our pain, and the reality of God's kindness and his plan. And so that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time this morning. Here's the first thing that Elizabeth's story can teach us, and that's this, that your encounter with God's kindness might allow someone else to believe in God's ability to do something good, to give amazing gifts, and maybe even in shocking ways. Because Mary didn't believe Gabriel until she knew that Elizabeth's story had actually happened, and that changed everything for her. Because Mary knew about her infant about Elizabeth's infertility. She knew that Elizabeth was way too old. She understood all of these things. And if God could do that for Elizabeth, then God actually might be able to put a baby in the belly of a virgin. He might be able to do something crazy like that if he could do this first thing. And she immediately left to go see Elizabeth. Evelyn Underhill said, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. I'm all about trying to understand stuff. I went to seminary because I wanted to like have a deeper understanding of the Bible and how to figure it out and, and answer the tough questions that we have about the things that we read. I'm all about trying to figure some of these things out. I think that's a really helpful thing is to be well informed when it comes to the who, what, why, where, and when of God. That is a really good thing. But sometimes it's better to just shut up and accept the kindness of Jesus than it is to keep asking questions. Sometimes it's better just to open our arms and say thank you than to keep asking why this is happening. Elizabeth did not understand what was going on in this situation, I am certain. There is no way she understood what was going on in her body through this experience. No possible way. But, unlike her husband, who got too caught up trying to figure out why, she just said thank you. And I think there's something deeply important in that for you and for I, because we can get so caught up in trying to understand why God's doing this and how God's going to actually do this that we get our eyes off the mark and we don't actually accept it. And then comes telling others, because Elizabeth's story changed everything for Mary. In your story of encountering the goodness, the kindness, the the love of God in the midst of a painful situation could change somebody else's reality as well. You don't want to keep those kind of stories to yourself because you never know if the person that you're telling might be in that very same spot, or a similar one at least, where God's wanting to do something, but they're too afraid to actually accept it. And hearing what God has done in your life might change everything 
for them. Friends, we have no idea the amount of people that God wants to influence through us. Let God influence other people through him showing his kindness, his goodness to us. That's a good thing. And like I said, Mary then leaves home. She travels 70 miles. And listen to what happens when she walks in to Elizabeth's house. Verse 41. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed what the Lord that the Lord would do what he said. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Here's the second thing that Elizabeth teaches us about waiting in God's kindness. God wants to make an exchange with us. He wants to take all the junk, all of our negatives, all the guilt, the shame, the heartbreak, the, the, the pain, the struggles, the suffering, the grief. He wants to take all of that and in its place, he wants to give us kindness and he wants to give us joy. It's a guarantee, he says here. He says that your struggles, all of the things that I just mentioned, they're not actually things that will stop you from having joy from God. Now, the definitions that we give of joy aren't always the most helpful. I, for one, have rarely found a definition of joy that actually, like, makes sense. It's always something like, well, you know, like, joy is different from, uh, from happiness. It's not just for, like, 30 seconds. Like, okay, great, thank you. That tells me a whole lot of things. But God wants to bring joy into these situations. Psalm 94, 19 says, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy joy isn't something that's only available when you're not in a place of suffering and of struggle joy is the thing that you need deeply per personally when you are in the place of suffering and of struggle and jesus wants to give it to us joy isn't a fleeting laugh over a quick joke it's not hearing the guy in the next room watching sesame street Joy is the gift of being in the presence of Jesus, especially in times of suffering. How's that for a definition? You can write that one down if you want. I won't claim it. <laughs> especially in the places where you don't expect to find joy. Encountering Jesus in that time, that's something lasting. That's something that will change you, that will change your situation completely. And friends, I think that Jesus wants to make that true for us today. I think that for those of us who are in those places of struggle, of suffering, of grief, that Jesus wants to give us his joy in that place in the same way that he did to Elizabeth. That's not a far-off thing that he wants to do. It's something that he wants to do right here right now in this place we need to be willing to allow the holy spirit to give us the joy in the same way that he did for elizabeth in a moment of shock
Now, the story ends with Elizabeth giving birth to a baby boy. No surprise. Many of us knew that answer. Uh, and everyone wanted to name him Zachariah. And instead, Zachariah speaks for the first time in nine or ten months, which, I don't know, if Zachariah was as negative as he came across to get to Gabriel, maybe Elizabeth was enjoying her nine or ten months. I don't know. But he speaks for the first time in nine or ten months, and he says, no, his name's going to be John. And in that moment, everybody knew that Zechariah had finally got it. He finally knew that God was good. He finally believed. Here's the last thing to learn from Elizabeth this morning. God is more merciful and gracious than we could ever expect. The name John was one of the most common names in their time in Israel. It's one of the most common names in our time in America as well. But it was, it was an extremely common name. But listen to what the definition of the name John, what it actually meant was. God is and always has been gracious. God is and always has been gracious. His very name points to the reality that his parents were experiencing in that moment of his birth. The graciousness of God forever was shown to them right then and right there. So here's the question. Did the, did the birth of John take away decades of pain for Elizabeth? She had been infertile for a long time. She was not a young woman. Did it take away decades of pain and struggle? No. Not at all. That was still the life that they had lived. That was still their experience. That was still their reality. It didn't change that. His birth didn't wipe away all of the pain. His birth didn't make it as if nothing had ever been wrong. That's not what his birth did. But it did bring joy into a place that had, up until that point, only known extreme sorrow. That's what the birth of John brought for his parents. Henry Nouwen says that being grateful doesn't mean repressing our hurts. As we come to God with our hurts, something life-changing begins to happen. We realize that any dance of celebration must weave both the sorrows and the blessings into a joyful step. So worship team comes back up. Friends, God's goodness doesn't mean that your pain's going to disappear. It doesn't mean that your sadness, your depression, your grief, your uh, heartbreak, whatever it is, is going to disappear as if it never happens. Because that's not goodness. That's a magic eraser. That's completely different, and that is not all that great. Goodness is God entering into your place of pain and being there with you. Goodness is God taking your pain from you and in exchange, one finger at a time as you're releasing it to him, it's him giving you his love and his joy in that place. That is what goodness is. That is what joy is. And so this morning, are you willing to allow his joy 
to enter into your place of pain. Maybe it's been closed for a long time. Maybe it's really fresh. But are you, allowing, are you willing to allow him to bring the same joy that Elizabeth knew that Zechariah finally figured out into that place today? I think it's true that if we do bend our ears and our brokenness, that we will hear, it won't be long before we hear the strains of good news again. He wants to bring it to us today. Will you stand and let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you for the, the people who were a part of your birth. Thank you that, that in their incredibly human, painful in some ways stories, that we can encounter what it is that you came to do and to bring. And I pray that this morning, that as we sing some songs, as we worship you, that we will encounter your goodness, your kindness, in our places where we need to encounter it. I pray that you will bring your joy, that gift of your presence, into the places that we need so desperately. And just say that we, we acknowledge that you're good and that we love you. We are so grateful for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.